And welcome to the Defending Christianity podcast. You can probably guess what we'll be doing. Defending Christianity. While looking at different arguments that try to disprove Christianity, our goal is to look at the evidence that supports the claim of Christianity that our argument is targeting. Join me as we discuss from a skeptical perspective how Jesus is who he says he is and how God includes you in his redemptive plan for humanity. I'm your host, Levi Dade, and this is the Defending Christianity podcast. Enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back to Defending Christianity Podcast, where we discuss Christianity in the context of skepticism. I'm your host, Levi Dade. Today we're going to be talking about, we'll have Christian Padilla talking to us about women in ministry today, what that might look like, some struggles about it, and some things that the Word of God says about it ultimately as our final authority. So we are looking forward for that and can't wait to hear what all Christian has to say about the subject. How are you? Hey, Levi. Good. How are you? I'm good. Sorry, I'm a little bit late. My class got out a little bit late, too. And so it's like 15 minutes before the interview was, was uh, scheduled. <laughs> no worries. I know how that happens. Are, um, are you, where are you at, at OBU? Um, I'm in the photo lab. We have a little podcast studio. Nice. I'm at OBU. Mm. A lot has changed at OBU since I was there. Yeah. Uh, a lot has changed this year just because of the, the guidelines. But, yeah. Do you know uh, sophomore? Okay, that's right. I think you may have said that. I got one, one more chapter in your book, and oh, bless I'm, you. I'm reading it along with with how the, uh, the the professor has it structured for our class. Yeah. And yeah. So we had a quiz over chapter seven, and got them oh, all gosh. right. So I'll makes me nervous. <laughs> no. I haven't even read it since it's been published. So <laughs> you no, uh-uh. is that common? I had to. I had to like leave it because every time I picked it up I found mistakes and so I was like I've I've got to just let mm. that go. Are those mistakes like something that the editors did or was that just something that you may have missed? Yeah I mean we all kind of missed it goes through so many editing rounds and then you're like seeing the same words over and over and over that mm. it's like you really need fresh eyes to see mm. and um and then you're getting new proofs that get mixed up with old proofs so yeah it's fine but that's that's awesome yeah and often like as you grow in in your spiritual life you'll often find things as well you know just in that growth Mm -hmm. Um, there's like there's like debate about that with like paul's letters in the the bible how some things in ephesians don't match up with colossians things like that yeah because he you know he obviously grew in those 15 years of his writing but, um, so thank yeah. you. Thank you so much for, for being here. It's, it's awesome to meet you. Me. Um, nice to meet you, Levi. I've, uh, I've, I've been reading your book for, for one of my classes and, and it's been really great. Um, the class loves it. We, we talk about it and you now we have a little quiz on it every day. So <laughs> it's been good. That's great. What, um, what got you interested in women in ministry? Well, first the book came along. Um, yeah. And then at first I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to read it for my class, but I don't know how it's going to be very practical for me. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it was. <laughs> and I highly, highly respect how much emphasis you put on historic and cultural context along yeah. with literary context. Um, Bible and Turk beat that into my head, you know, Dr. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. 
And so um, I really liked that and, and the way that you basically took, took us through the interpretive journey in first Timothy. Um, So, so, so that, that, that was good to, to see that, you know, you were holding true to what the Bible is saying and what it actually means, but just in general, it's just good to, to, to be well-rounded in knowing about why ministry is not just set aside for men. And just yeah. those practical things that, that you say in there about women and encouraging them will allow me to also be empathetic towards them in the future in my ministry as well. So Yeah, praise God. That's, I'm, that's you know, it was, it was written for women, but with the hope that men would be listening and reading um, because it's, and I've found this over the years to be very true. I can encourage women all day long, but if they go into churches and places where men don't even think they belong. Um, my encouragement to them is only going to go so far. Mm-hmm. It doesn't compare. So you need to have um, men who are going to um, see you as a partner in ministry. I mean, it may look different depending on where you're serving, but to even have that perspective is um, really um, life-changing for women. Mm. So thanks for that's that's helpful. Thank no you. Problem. No problem. Anytime. Um, and I, I have mentioned this to, to my friend before. I, I don't remember which one it is. I've talked to a, a couple of my friends about the book. Um, yeah. People who have taken the class and read it last year or who, who are going to. But just the way that you are very loving and and gracious towards men in the book. And when you re- talk about men or reference them or say something towards men specifically, it's, it's like, it's awesome. You know, it's not, Good. I think somewhere I forget where you say it, but you're, you're like, I'm not going to make this out to be some type of feminist view of this. It's going to be, you know, yeah. and I, I really like that. And <laughs> also I'm gonna do too, too as well. <laughs> Good. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that because a lot of, there is kind of a pendulum swing where we're either bashing men or we're bashing women mm. and neither is I think a biblical approach. Yeah. So good. Well, so to start, can you just tell me a little bit about what was going on in your life that, that you felt God leading you to write something like this work? Um, you know, there are many women in ministry in the world. So Many of them probably have felt this way, but what was it that in your story or in your life, it kind of made you go towards this path of actually writing something where many women could have and never did or never felt that calling? Yeah. Um, Well, the simple uh, opt out answer, maybe God, (laughs) Um, but you know, God really, as I say in the book, life is lived forward, but understood backwards. And um, I can see how God was putting together um, pieces in my own story and life and journey that kind of led to the writing of the book. Um, and I say a lot of this in the introduction, but um, my path to ministry felt very strange and lonely and um, like I didn't know what steps to take. And I kept looking for people and resources to help me um, along the path. And I did find encouragement, but I didn't really find um, people who had given it really um, biblical theological thought um, who could help me along until actually I got to Washita and uh, found in Dr. Pemberton and other professors just a uh, not only encouragement, but uh, people who had thought about this and who could speak into my life um, practically, biblically, theologically. So um, 
when I was in seminary, still wrestling with what was my call, what my call was going to look like and what God had for my life. Um, and as I was praying, I was also encountering other women with similar stories and just really kind of, it felt like out of the blue in that time of prayer and discernment, God laid on my heart, a desire to help other women along the journey. And I remember thinking that I didn't really have anything to offer at that point in my life, um, that I needed experience. I needed, um, to uh, grow in maturity and all, all those things. Um, and I didn't know at the time when I was in seminary that I needed to suffer a bit. And I don't mean suffer like because I'm a woman um, in, in call to ministry, but just suffer in the sense of being in a place of wrestling with God and my calling and, and not seeing it not being easy. And for things not being handed to me on a silver platter where I had to really wrestle with scripture and um, spend time crying out to God. Um, Because after seminary, I did not find full-time vocational work in the church. Um, And I felt at that time like I had failed um, in my pursuit of my call to ministry, um, that I must have done something wrong. But being in that place, as I look back now, it really allowed me to um, ask, not only ask the hard questions about my own calling, um, specifically as a woman, but then to really spend time um, looking at studying scripture, having conversations, um, mentoring other women, and all those things just kind of culminated um, eventually seven years after seminary. being led to uh, write write the book and it's just been a testimony of faith to see how God has brought that around um and about so yeah it's awesome so did, did, did it kind of come from I know you said after seven years from mentoring women after woman and then just seeing this kind of like pattern and saying okay I, I want to do something that can kind of get out there to multiple other women that I won't be able to actually see but who might need to hear it too did it come from, from kind of that? Yeah, that was a big part of it. So right after seminary, I approached my uh, church youth minister and asked him if he had any women in the youth group who were discerning a call to ministry. And he said, actually, we have four women and we've been looking for a resource to give them and can't find anything out there. Mm-hmm. And so I, f- um, I was already had the idea and that was kind of confirmation. And then it allowed me to work out some of the things that later went into the book. Um, but yes, so that was a big part of it. Another part, um, to be honest, uh, was the stories and struggles of women coming out of seminary to find ministry opportunities and hearing their stories of, um, uh, not having a lot of open doors to them. Mm-hmm. And then kind of the path that was presented to women who said, oh, I feel called to ministry was this path of, okay, well, you need to build a big platform. You need to have, you need to be, um, to fit this kind of mold of what you look like, what you sound like, um, you, um, do all these things. Then you can get like a book deal or you can, uh, write a Bible study and then churches are going to invite you to speak. So that, that was going on. And then on the ground in the local churches, uh, 
you had churches, even the church I was a part of in seminary, uh, the positions offered to women were part-time. They were hiring women with no theological education. Um, they weren't paying women at the same rate. They weren't calling them ministers. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot going on and, and still to, to this day, although I think um, it is improving but there was a lot going on that was discouraging to women on the one hand, but also showed me or communicated to me that the church hadn't really thought through this theologically, biblically. Um, mm-hmm. It didn't have a theological vision for women in ministry. Mm-hmm. And so, um, again, I didn't necessarily ever think one day, oh, I'm the expert and I'm the best person to write this book. But I just had an increased burden for the church um, because I felt like this was an area where the church could do better. Mm. And um, I just hoped that my, you know, that if God opened the door for me to write this book, that it would um, be a help in that direction. Well, I can tell you that it definitely, if it's going to help me, it's, it's going to help many other men. And of course with that, there's going to become a lot, even more women, then man that's going to be helped by it so so thank you for that thank you for for being willing to step up and say what needed to be said for a long time i mean i actually like going off of that like dealing with the issues of the roles of women within the church it, i feel like growing up there was this subtle notion of of men doing the preaching the majority of the talking and much of the bigger roles like that um, it's not as if women were oppressed especially directly but there just seems to be what what's like unfairness in terms of the way women have their roles traditionally overlooked or belittled. My my professor for my ministry class that we read this book in, uh, Bill Newton, he on one of the first days of school talking about talking about his his um, ministry and his first couple of uh, well, basically his his ministry. But then when he first he came to the church that he's at now in in Hot Springs, he said, and I quote. I hadn't seen much of women in ministry until I entered the ministry in the late nineties. This is the first church where I have served that actually had a woman on staff as a minister. Before I came here, I didn't, I did interact with some women in ministry. They were always children's ministers. I was friends with because I did youth and children's at the same time, but wasn't ever on staff with any woman until now. Talking about the church that he's at in Little Rock in quote. And so that, that really, affirmed what I'd already been thinking about in terms of this episode. Um, and, you know, I asked him, I was like, Hey, do you mind if I say that? <laughs> and so, um, but, but what, what would you say to that? Is, is that something that is majority in the, the Southern Bible Belt region? Or do you think that that's something that's just predominantly a trait in all of Christendom as a whole? Yeah, I I definitely think you see that more in the in the south of the United States. Mm-hmm. Having spent some time um, abroad and just a little bit of time in 2014 when my husband was on sabbatical, uh, and then just talking to people who have lived abroad, um, there it isn't as much of an issue in a lot of those places. And I would say, uh, and this is one reason, not the only reason, but one reason is that secularism and and uh, just uh, the non-Christian community, the, the field is so um, big there. 
uh, that they are so eager to have orthodox people, men and women, who will take the gospel and who will be faithful gospel witnesses. And so there seems to be a sense in which the what's most important is that the gospel needs to go out and take root in these places. Um, and my experience was uh, Europe. And so they were engaging with men and women in a way that I had not witnessed um, having grown up in the South of the United States. And even some friends who were from the North or who have lived in the North part of the States or Canada, um, there does seem to be um, more freedom or a better engagement with women in ministry. Although in, um, there's there's pockets and sectors of the church where uh, that's not necessarily the case. Um, but yeah, I would say going to to Bill's quote, um, you know, we we do have to look back at our church history and and in a lot of denominations and and this is not all sectors of Christianity. I'm not talking about Pentecostalism or Methodism. Um, that's going to be a little different when it comes to women. Um, but for the most part, it has been um, seen as a male-dominated or male-only vocation. Mm-hmm. Um, so to to and and I don't know if we realize how um, how impactful our culture is and how we think about everything and <laughs> even about women in the church, it's impacted. Mm-hmm. How we begin to think about women in the church is impacted by um, our culture and our history and what we've grown up with, you know, what we know. And not just women in the church. You could think about, um, I grew up Southern Baptist and walking the aisle. I never questioned walking the aisle. That was just part of the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was exposed to Christian traditions where you didn't walk the aisle, you know, <laughs> like what? Um, so if you think about the way we think about church, sometimes those aspects aren't even questioned until we might enter into a different culture or a different denomination mm-hmm. or just a, um, a different place. So as it pertains though to women in the church, um, that church at first, I think it's First Baptist Hot Springs, another pastor, he um, has a great um, vision for women in ministry. And I have noticed when there are pastors who believe it's important to have women in leadership roles in the church, it makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you could think of it like um, the church is described as a family of God, as having fathers and mothers. I think this is something that the evangelical church really has to think about. Um, the way we talk about the family um, in our culture and how we place such an emphasis on father and mother um, is, is strikingly different sometimes than when we talk about the church. And then it becomes a bunch of fathers. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, overseeing the church family. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there, there's just a lot to, to try to answer your question. There's a long history of, um, of, of church ministry, gospel ministry seen as a male vocation. And I think, you know, we just need to ask, okay, so what is God's vision for the people of God? Um, does, has, how has God acted or how has God used women in the past? Mm-hmm. 
And how is he using them today? And might we be missing out on an opportunity um, by not doing a better job at creating spaces for women to um, use their spirit-given gifts in the church? Um, so I don't know. You, you can press me further or take this further because um, it's kind of a big question. Yeah, uh, it's okay. I love that you mentioned about, about the family of God being different at least talked about in relation to, you know, just the family versus like in the church, because actually the first part of this episode, it's either going to be a two part episode or it's going to be two different interviews in one. But basically I interviewed um, Dr. Lynn Kohick the other day about basically the early church mothers and their influence in how we, we see Christianity and how it's shaped Christianity today. And it's supposed to complement what this part is about, you know, about how we can see that brought to light in terms of vocational ministry. Um, and so just the fact that you said that, it's just like, that's exactly what we talk about. We, we look at a couple of different people who had a major impact um, in, in what Christianity is today as, as we perceive it. Uh, mm. so, so that's awesome. I yeah. love that. She's she's such a great scholar and mm-hmm. kind person. Yeah, she is. It was, it was great. Um, so what are some roadblocks specifically have you faced in in ministry? What did those look like? And, and maybe could you tell us a little bit about how you overcame them? Yeah, um, some roadblocks I haven't ever <laughs> I haven't even overcome. Um, I, well, and some of them don't necessarily pertain to me being a woman. Uh, when I graduated seminary, it was 2008 when the economy crashed a long time ago. And um, there were few jobs being offered at all in ministry. And what was being offered was being offered to men. So I, and that could be talked about as a roadblock as it pertains to women. Uh, I, I do believe that we prioritize, um, ministry positions. Uh, we, meaning we see it more important, I think sometimes to have, um, men on staff than we do necessarily women. So at the church I'm at now, which is a great church, um, there is a huge team of, of men serving in ministry. And then they have one position um, that is open for a uh, woman's minister. And, you know, that's great, but I want to like press into that and say, okay, so why are we okay with kind of a, let's say 10 to one ratio? Mm-hmm. Why are we, why do we feel like it's so important that we have eight, seven, nine men um, and kind of a pastoral ministerial staff. Um, and we only need one woman as long as she's overseeing or, or talking to women. Um, so all that to say is there's just fewer jobs for women um, to pursue a ministry in the local church, um, which is a big roadblock. Um, I would say even the the position itself? Is it full-time? Is it being paid at a, at a rate that corresponds to the work that you're doing? Mm -hmm. Um, I know a lot of women who face roadblocks of just being called like an associate when really they're doing the same work as their male counterpart, who's called a minister. So those are just some roadblocks for those women who are just wanting to 
They want to write Bible studies. They want to teach God's word. A roadblock, and I've mentioned this already, is just the whole platform thing. We want women who are going to bring in a big crowd or who are going to sell a lot of books or um, who's really popular. And so uh, a lot of women, and, and I encountered this coming out of Surrey. Um, I remember uh, going to different publishing companies and saying, oh, you know, I would love to, to write a Bible study. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to know, well, where they wanted to know all the platform questions. And one of them being like, where are you speaking all the time? Well, the churches weren't wanting me to speak because I hadn't published anything. So it was kind of a, <laughs> how, yes, how, how do I get into this space? Um, so those have been some roadblocks uh, specifically related, I think, to me being a female. Um, but I would say that, you know, God has provided in ways that um, I couldn't, I still am like, why, why has he put me where I am? You know, why has he put me at Beeson Divinity School? I, I, I always thought I would be on a church staff. Why am I, why am I at Beeson? Well, in my role at Beeson, I have, I'm able to have a mentor group of seminary women. I'm able to have a cadre of undergrad women talking about ministry. Um, so, so it's been interesting to see um, how God has used some of my road, what I would consider roadblocks um, to be an entryway into this ministry that he's called me to. And that is to encourage and raise up this next generation of women. And hopefully um, in my conversations like with you and with other men, um, there will be a, a, a better space for women to serve in ministry um, five, 10, 15 years down the road. Um, so yeah, th- so those have been some of my roadblocks. How have I overcome them? Um, I, again, I don't know that I've necessarily overcome any or all of them. Um, other than to say that, and this is something I write in the book that God is so faithful and I, the days that, and I mentioned that, pe- that seven year period, which is such a biblical number. <laughs> Seven years. Uh, I like claim that biblical number, but you know, that period after seminary, that what really sustained me was knowing that if God has called me to this, He is going to see it through. And it may not be on my timing, it may not look how I want it to look like, Mm -hmm. but God is faithful and this is, this all belongs to Him, including my life. Um, So He, He has um, proven to, to be that, um, and how he has dealt so kindly with me. Definitely. And you never know, maybe all those women that you mentor will be part of a church staff and and you're going to be used for there. You're going to be used by God, um, to benefit them in that role. I mean, that that's very (laughs) possible. Um, and if so, then that's just, then that's just, uh, you know, as, as worth it as, as being part of a church ministry, you know, yourself, I think. So, yeah, thank you for that encouragement. Awesome. Yes, ma'am, of course. So 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to read it real quick. In, in fact, so everybody, everybody can just know because it's <laughs> this something that I had to bring up because it's, it's <laughs> well, we all know why. Okay, here, here's 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15. It says, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man she must be quiet, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman 
who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, and propriety. So looking at, at this at face value, what would you say would be the first thing that people get wrong when they look at this and ask, what, what does it mean and how should that look like in our church? Because what we see is what they think it means it'll look like in the church. That is, there's no women on the staff, <laughs> basically. Um, so what's the first or what would you think would be like the first wrong turn in figuring out what that actually means? Yeah. So I think when we come to scripture and I must say, I'm not, I don't have a PhD. I'm not a biblical scholar. We need my husband in here who is a new Testament scholar and actually <laughs> teaches on first Timothy and is writing a commentary. So well, that, I, had to give that, I had to give that disclaimer. That <laughs> <sense of> credibility. <laughs> yes. Um, but you know, I think we have to uh, realize that when we come to scripture, the things uh, that we read that seem to correlate uh easily to our culture, our day and time without much work is what we kind of default to. Mm -hmm. So let me give you an example. Um, Right before this passage, uh, it talks about the women are, you know, to dress modestly, which is, we would say, oh yes, we, we, that's an easy one. Um, But not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel. Um, So when we read that, we're like, well, you know, we can think of a lot of women (laughs) and even pastor's wives who um, wear expensive clothing and hairstyles and gold jewelry. Um, So, so we, what we're doing without maybe even realizing it, we are um, adapting what we're reading in scripture to fit with our culture. And those things where it's easy to kind of make that jump, like modesty, um, we read it. We don't think a thing about it. The things that kind of clash a little bit with our culture, uh, maybe a better example would be the, um, that women have to cover their head with a head covering. We don't do that. So, uh, we either jump over it or we're already trying to principalize. Okay. So how, how do I interpret this to my culture? Yeah. So when we get to first Timothy two eleven. Um, it's interesting, depending on where you've grown up in your culture, you may read this text and it's, it's not strange. Um, in fact, you're like, see, this is, this is why we do what we do in our church. Um, now it may be that you read it and it kind of hits you funny. It is strange. It's, it's something, something is going on here. I'm sure more um, than men. <laughs> Right, right. And I would say that we all do this when we get to that last verse in uh, verse 15, but she will be saved through childbearing. So we get there and we're like, oh, wait a minute. Paul doesn't mean that literally or at face value. There must be something going on. So my point is that I want us to be cognizant of how we're reading this text initially. Um, because if it, if the first few verses, you know, a woman is to learn quietly with full submission, I don't allow a woman to teach. Um, we may read that and want to say, you know, we need to apply this literally. There's, there's, there's no, there's no, uh, talking about Bible inter, there's no bridge building that we have to do between first century AD and our, and our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an easy little easy little jump. Mm-hmm. Um, we get to verse 15 and there's like this big <laughs> bridge that we have to build. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to say that at the beginning to say, okay, 
uh, as we read these verses, um, we all realize that we're, we're reading from a certain context and that's okay. We can't, we can't rise above our culture and our context to some kind of alternate reality and read it a culturally. Um, the Bible was given within culture. So that's not what I'm saying, but what I'm saying is, um, we need to be honest with what we're bringing with us to the text. And then, so that would be the first thing I would say is just being honest and realizing, okay, so verses nine and 10 and verses 15, I'm, um, I think that something is going on here that doesn't make sense to me, mm-hmm. but verses 11, 12, 13, 14. Oh yeah. Those, those, th- those make sense. Yeah. Um, and, uh, one second. You mentioned Bible interpret. It's like they even talk about in there how, you know, don't bring any cultural baggage or pre-understanding to the text. But with this one, like, that's just like, I think that speaks louder than the text actually does when we read it. Yeah. And, and I would say even like this, uh, uh, word that is translated as submission, mm-hmm. we can come dep- and this is just good to be aware of depending on what, how you grew up and how that word was used. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of women who were abused and it was used, um, it was justified by using term terminology such as submission. So when they read that word, it's a bad word. It's a, <laughs> it's a hurtful word. Um, now I would not say it's a hurtful word in and of itself, but just realizing what we bring with us to the text. So I, so that would be my first thing I would say. Secondly, um, uh, Gosh, there's so much to say here, Levi, and I don't know um, if I'm going to say it all well. Okay, I guess what I really think would be good to focus on for this, yeah. um, for our purpose, is to look at what were, what was going on in, at, at the time in Crete. Isn't that where Timothy was at this time? Ephesus. Ephesus. I don't know why I said Crete. I was thinking. I think that's Titus. Not Titus. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so w- what we need to really focus on, I think for this purpose is just to think about what Timothy um, and what the church of Ephesus was going, was going through what the, the whole, I guess, city of Ephesus was going through at this time. Um, What was going on with them there on a cultural historical level that made Paul feel the need to say these words? Cause maybe that has something to do with how we should and should not apply it. Maybe too literal maybe not literal enough. Do you know, do you know where I'm, what, where I'm yeah, yeah. Yeah. So obviously something's going on in the ground. Um, all of Paul's letters are, uh, written at a particular time to a particular people. And there are things here that the readers would already know. Um, so Paul doesn't have to say, um, that we don't know. So we're having to kind of fill in the blanks, so to speak. Um, so in e- Ephesus is, um, part of the Roman empire and um, you could look in Acts and read about Paul's ministry in Ephesus and the problems that he encountered there. Um, when we get to this letter, First Timothy, um, we see a couple of things. And I, this, is, this first point, I think, is really important as we read this passage and really all of Paul's letters. We need to read these letters at, through a missiological lens. Paul is a missionary, and the, uh, Christianity is a brand new faith. Um, brand new. And he is taking the gospel to, to these places. These are baby new churches. And these churches are encountering all kinds of problems that would, um, distort the, the, the mission of, of, 
of the church uh, that would distort the gospel. You know, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Corinth would be a perfect example. Um, so we find something's going on in Ephesus because of all the times that Paul is referencing false teaching. So I would encourage your listeners to go and look at um, the references to false teachers and to false teaching. They are coming into the homes and um, worming their way into the homes, I think is how it describes. You could read First Timothy and Titus um, as companions uh, to kind of get an um, understanding of the kind of false teaching um, and false teachers uh, that he's uh, describing in this in this letter. Um, so th- the church is new the gospel is going forth. That is the most important thing. You find that in the beginning of chapter two. So then we get to the instructions about women. And I, the way I read this passage, Levi, is that, um, and again, I'm reading this passage in light of the, the uh, corpus of first, second Timothy and Titus, is that there is false teaching that is, try, that is going to destroy the church. And this false teaching has come in through the door of a lot of these women who are busy at home. They've welcomed these um, false teachers into the home, um, and it's upsetting the church. And so I do think Paul is saying to the women here, you need to be quiet. Um, But it's not just you're a woman, so you need to be quiet. Rather, he encourages them to learn. I want a woman to learn, which is is really in line with Jesus. We can think of Mary sitting at Jesus's feet, learning. We can think of Martha, her sister, who is a disciple of Christ, who makes this amazing confession in John 11 um, about Jesus being the Messiah, the Son of God. So like Jesus, Paul wants these women to learn. We find in Titus that he wants the women to learn so they can teach other women. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, he wants them to learn in submission. And I, and I read this text um, kind of like I have a nine-year-old son mm-hmm. and he thinks he knows everything, <laughs> everything. He doesn't want to listen. He um, argue. He's very argumentative. And sometimes I'm like, Philip, I need you to be quiet and I need you to listen to me and to submit to, to me as your teacher. And so I kind of view the women at this, you know, Paul talking to these women in the same way, you're not going to, you need to learn the true gospel. You need to submit, you need to be quiet. Um, obviously he doesn't want women to just, um, be, you know, not speak at all in the church because in first Corinthians, uh, Paul's talking about women prophesying in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, we know about, uh, the ministry of Priscilla who is teaching and leading in the church. So it's not, um, so again, I think we need to read this in context of all of scripture, specifically all of Paul, all of, um, the gospels. Um, and then I, w- I just want to say in verse 12, uh, there's a Greek word, um, that is translated as have authority. Is the only time this word is used in the New Testament. It's a very rare Greek word. And the best word studies um, show that this word has a negative connotation. So it's not a, I don't want women to have a positive authority like Deborah or like Hulda or other women we find leading um, in scripture. Rather, I think he's talking about a very negative authority that um, would be dominating, domineering. Um, and I, you know, I think what I take away from scripture is that 
um, God, Jesus himself doesn't call any of his disciples to that kind of domineering attitude, not from the men, not from the women, the way that he practices his leadership, Jesus, the son of God is a, a subversive from the bottom up a servant who's washing the feet of people, who's giving your life for people. Mm -hmm. So I believe that that's how God calls us simply as disciples. And that's really how we need to uh, read this text. Okay. If my, I'm going to take, I'm going to make an interpretation from this passage. Now I'm going to test my interpretation against the rest of scripture. And does it stand up against the rest of scripture? If it contradicts any other part of scripture, then it's probably a wrong mis misinterpretation. We, exactly. We make two parts of scripture contradict yeah. each other. Yeah. We need to place it where, where it yeah. is. Mm -hmm, definitely. Um, but yeah, for anybody who wants more information on that, Christian takes it step by step in her book, Now That I'm Called. And, and uh, the, that's on chapter five. So... So, but, but just for the last few minutes, what do men need to know about working with women in ministry? I'm so glad that you asked that question. Uh, <laughs> I really am. Um, I would really encourage men to, to look at women as a sister in Jesus Christ mm -hmm. and as a coworker in ministry, like that being your first, um, your first approach to working with women in ministry um, to recognize, and I think this is really important um, to recognize that they share the same identity that you do in Jesus Christ. So Paul says that we are all hidden in Jesus Christ. He says, Jesus Christ, who is your life? He says, we are in Jesus Christ. Um, we all are made anew, born again in the Holy Spirit. Um, that same identity is really powerful. So when we first look at each other in that sameness of the same identity of Jesus Christ, then we can, I think, appreciate um, our diversity. And uh, if we can, if in the church, if we can display the beauty of unity and diversity and how God created us and, you know, going back to the garden. Um, I think that's a, that's a really biblical picture of um, God's vision for humanity. Um, so I would, I would encourage men in ministry to, to see the need for women in ministry positions in the church um, and to expect them to be qualified in the same way we want our men to be qualified. Um, we want to encourage them uh, in their God-given gifts, and we want to create spaces for them to use those gifts. Um, and it, doesn't it does not have to be behind a pulpit. If that's where your denomination um, is mm -hmm. on women preaching, a woman, a woman can, uh, and this is one kind of practical example, sometimes we want to dummy down youth ministry or children's ministry. So to end, for, for the women out there or, you know, the, the junior who's in high school or the freshman in college who, who's undeclared but feeling a call to ministry um, and they don't have access to your book or, or maybe something around those lines or they're, they're listening to this before they can get to it, what, what would you just say to them in, in just a couple of minutes um, to just encourage them to not be um, belittled or, or be spoken down to 
from the church and respectfully claim their identity in, in the ministry role. Yeah, I would encourage them that the God who created them and who has redeemed them in Jesus Christ, who has gifted them by the Holy Spirit, um, has been in the business um, from the beginning of using women um, to to deliver his word for the people of God. Mm-hmm. Um, I would encourage them to go and, and look at Miriam and look at um, Deborah and Huldah and Isaiah's daughters and Abigail, who gave a word um, uh, to David to save him from blood guilt and Ruth and Naomi and the list goes on. Uh, And that's just the old Testament um, to see that it is in God's nature to use his daughters um, to use his sons and daughters to, to bring about his kingdom um, to bring about uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the ends of the earth. Um, and so if God is, is, is burdening your heart, is leading you in that direction, I would just encourage them that God sees them. God, um, loves them. Um, if God is calling them, he wants, uh, them to, uh, and he would want us to follow in obedience. Um, and that God is faithful. He's so faithful. So that would just be one one word of encouragement to them. All right. Uh, thank you so much for that. Um, I'm, I'm sure it's going to to affirm and and allow many many women in the future to to just be able to to have more confidence in, the, in their calling. So so thank you, Kristen, for for being here today with us. Thank uh, you. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm very honored oh. and grateful. <laughs> and it's so nice to meet you. It's good to meet you too. Um, I'll probably see you on Twitter every now and then. So, so I hope so. I'm I'm terrible at social media because I do it for um, the Divinity School. So mm-hmm. I feel like I pop on and then I pop off. You like I'm like I just kind of sneak on and sneak yeah, off. Because um, I'm always posting something for, for the podcast. So I completely understand. Yeah, yeah. I can't have well, my face in the phone all day with all these assignments that they cram here. I know, I know. And I, I like sometimes I get down a black hole with Twitter, where it's like I'm following one thing and then I'm like, okay, I've, this is taking too much of my time. I'm, I'm gonna have yep. to get off. But it's been a blessing to get to meet people mm-hmm. um, like you and others. <laughs> yeah, like, it's, yeah. That, that part is really party, fun. Yeah, emailing you was already a plan of mine, but I saw you on Twitter and I was like. thank you for your encouragement seriously because um i hear from women i don't really hear from guys oh well Um, well, i speak on on behalf of my entire class and my professor he he said a lot of great things about you and about the book and and if if you were sitting there it probably would have made you cry because of 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 your heart (laughs) for it (laughs) yeah i probably would have (laughs) so so just know that along with women there are a lot of men who, who also stand behind you and all that you Thank do with, with this. Thank you. I, you know, I'm excited about your generation and our gener, my generation and younger, because I, I do see that there's a greater um, appreciation and vision for men and women working together. And I just think it's so beautiful. I think it's a really beautiful picture. Mm-hmm. So for sure. Well, take care and thank you so much. I appreciate you. No problem. Thank you. Hope to hear from you again soon. Maybe, maybe one day in the future we can do something when your next book comes out. Who knows? Yeah. 
<laughs> Hopefully, if, I, if we can get it written. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I'm gonna let you get back to it. Okay. Then. okay. Thanks, Levi. Bye. Have a great one. You too. Bye. I'm your host, Levi Dade, and this is the Finkers Shannon Podcast. Thanks, guys.